Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Danessa Myricks, the founder and CEO of her namesake beauty line. Welcome, Danessa. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you, Danessa. I think you have such an incredible story. And I mean, I've been following you from afar and been kind of a fangirl for some time, but I, I think what you've done in such a short amount of time, but also a long amount of time, is pretty incredible. <laughs> um, I guess to get started, Danessa, were you always interested in beauty? Were you always someone who was like a makeup junkie and a beauty enthusiast? Did you see yourself as that girl growing up? Absolutely not. And anybody who knew me before I turned, uh, let's say, 35 will probably agree that I was the furthest thing away <laughs> from beauty. Literally, you know, I didn't even know how to wear makeup. I was like the nerd working in a corporate office, just dreaming about having a different life. Honestly, it, it never even crossed my mind. My interest, of course, what has always been in beautiful things, whether it be art or architecture or even like watching the fashion weeks on TV, but I never actually saw myself as a part of it. So what was that kind of alternate life that you were dreaming about? Because I think what's interesting is what I've read and what I've heard you say before, it was like, a, you know, one of these classic cases that people are probably experiencing right now, a layoff led you to this world of beauty. Oh, yeah. So I was working corporately actually at a publishing company. And they, they published Black Hair magazines, a series of Black Hair and Beauty magazines. And I had the opportunity to sit in on photo shoots and, and watch artists coming in and out of the shoots. And I was just kind of like sitting on the side like Cinderella, like, oh, if only my life can be that fun, that fashionable, that, that cool and creative. I mean, it was really interesting for me to see the transformation of the models and even to see the energy of the people who are coming in to do the shoots, the makeup artists and the hairstylists and the photographer, it was just, it just felt really different. You know, my heart was always, uh, dreaming of an opportunity to be creative, but the sensible side of me listening to what my parents always told me about, listen, you're the first to finish college. So you need to get a great corporate job. You know, the story that we've all heard. Um, and so I, I always thought that I should choose a career that was really sensible, um, that I can get a 401k, you know, the insurance and all of the things. And so I honestly never even considered the possibility that I can do something creative, you know, but they, like you said, the owner of that publishing company decided that they wanted to do something different. And I was a single mom of two at the time. And so he felt the need to kind of like give me a heads up that his interests have changed and he was actually going to be closing the business in about 30 days. So it was like me in a midlife crisis. I was 30 years old. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I've spent all this time here. Like now I have to start all over again. And it was, I guess at that moment I was like, okay, so I'm midway through my life. Am I going to just restart and do this all again? Or I'm going to take a chance on doing something different? You know, I think all of us, we want to feel like we're excited to wake up every day and go to work. Like you want to feel inspired to wake up, go and do the thing. And I really was kind of just going through the motions at that time. It wasn't something that was making my heart flutter. And I wanted my heart to flutter. <laughs> I wanted to do something special. 
And so I just made the decision at that time that, you know what, I love how these makeup artists, they come in and they get paid at the end of the day and they made somebody look and feel beautiful. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do makeup. That's literally how I did it. And you were self-taught, you know, you weren't taking, you know, some amazing, like going to college or cosmetology school specifically for this. This was all self-learned. Oh, absolutely. You know, so if you do the math, I started at 30. I've been doing makeup now for over 20 years. So you get a sense of how old I am. So back then, there was no Instagram. There was no social media. There weren't all these beauty schools. There weren't master classes. There was nothing. You can go to the library and you can buy a book. And so there really wasn't resources that way. And even in cosmetology school, not that I had the time to do it because I needed to earn money to feed children. So I couldn't just like go to cosmetology school. But even in cosmetology school, they have like a week of makeup education. So there really wasn't the landscape of beauty education that exists right now. So most of the artists that I came up with in the industry um, were self-taught or mentored. And because I knew no one <laughs> who could mentor me, it really was just kind of figuring it out on my own. How did you kind of make that transition from obviously teaching yourself how to do this and then obviously getting work to pay for the life that you wanted and to really kind of experiment in this career? So I had to do a lot of begging <laughs> and a lot of working for free. To be quite honest, even though I made the decision that I wanted to do to be a makeup artist, no one else made that decision. They were like, no, you're not a makeup artist. You don't even look cute. So you're not. <laughs> and so I had to kind of beg around. You know, I reached out to the photographers that were doing shoots for the publication and asked them and of course, they wanted to be kind. The answer was really no, but it was like, hey, yeah, you can come. And if anybody comes and sits in your chair, you can do them. But, you know, it wasn't for hire. It really was for experience. And I spent almost a year doing that. I used to drive five hours away to Virginia to work with a photographer who was doing shoots for hair magazines. And sometimes I would sit and nobody would sit in my chair until I drive five hours back home and hope that the next time when I go, somebody will allow me to do their makeup. But eventually... You know, I was able to touch some faces and um, the photographers began to trust me a little bit more. And eventually it started turning into uh, paid opportunities. And when I say paid opportunities, not big jobs. It was like, come and make $100 to do some headshots kind of thing. And there was a photographer that I worked often with. His name was Eric Von Lockhart. And he um, hired me to do the makeup for a luster products shoot. And that kind of like created the shift in my career. I remember reading, Dedessa, that you kind of were ahead of what we now call the social media video craze, um, which I think is actually pretty symbolic for what you're doing now on Instagram. Like everybody says that you've created those ne neon looks and you've created those like really cult worthy, colorful looks on Instagram and, and in makeup. But you started doing DVDs, educational DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's so funny. Every time I bring that up, people are like, DVDs? I mean, I don't even know anyone who owns a DVD player, player right now. But that really was the thing. Like, early on in my career, like, I always, I had a, I guess, a business mindset. I knew that, you know, I wanted to turn this into a business. It was going to be the thing that I used to, like, feed my family. So I was always thinking of, you know, what can I do you know, to monetize this in a bigger way? And it, 
when one hairstylist asked me if I can come to their salon and like teach them and their staff how to do makeup, you know, a bell went off and I was like, well, maybe this is something that I can do. I can hold little classes. And so I'd have these sessions and it started off with like five people and then 20 and it started to grow. And from there, I started getting invitations from different hair shows to come and teach to the audience how to do makeup. And I was like, wow, how can I amplify this? Because I can't be everywhere. I can't go to every show. I can't go to every salon. And so what that same photographer, I asked him, does he shoot video? And I was like, well, can I just do a training on a video and then I can sell that online? And that's how it started. I think it was a 2003 I made my first step-by-step video and they were, they were each about two or two and a half hours long. And I would just go through multiple looks and, you know, instruct on top of the looks and show the changes. And they started to get really popular. And so I think I ended up with about 22 volumes of DVDs and they sold all over the world. Um, some people still have them and I've been asking them one by one to please throw those out because it doesn't represent who I am as an artist today. But yeah, that's pretty much where it all started. And the funny thing about it is that I remember distinctly someone coming to me saying, there's this thing called Instagram and you should just like put like little clips of your your videos up there. I think it would be cool. And I was like, no, why would I do that? People are used to getting two hours of content. There's no way I'm going to like take 30 seconds or a minute and put it on there. And I completely ignored the platform. And I always say to myself, wow, what if I would have started when Instagram started? You know, what would the brand look like now? What would my page look like now? But yeah, I I totally discounted it because I was like, no, people want to watch full length videos, two hours, two and a half hours long. And I want to cheat them with 30 seconds or a minute. Um, But yeah, it all started with those DVDs. Do you still feel that way now knowing that, you know, people are just want shorter, shorter, shorter video? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's like, damn it. <laughs> I pinch myself all the time because I was like, wow, if I started laying the groundwork back then, day one when Instagram started, where would I be? But I think it's okay. I think everybody has their own journey. And I think the journey that I took took me on the path that led me to where I am today because it's those DVDs that... Uh, introduced me to brands who wanted me to help them communicate uh, to their development teams, like how to create makeup for women of color. And it, it started that my whole journey in creating products and marketing products. If I think it were, if it were not for that, um, Janessa Warren's beauty wouldn't be the brand it is today. So I guess everything happened as it was supposed to. Was this happening around the same time that you were also thinking about starting your own brand and your own line of products? Were you doing both of these? Did you think you were going to have like a masterclass business and a teaching school business and then at the same time have a brand or did one come first? Let me tell you, I was just focusing on how my kids are going to eat next week. Honestly, I wasn't, it wasn't like a big grand plan. It started to evolve over time. I think when I was focused on education, the, the thing that happened always at the end of the session was, can you give us a list of things to buy or can you sell me this thing? And I remember back then there were, there wasn't so much access to shades and, um, colors and the vibrancy of the products that you see today. And I used to have these like cocktails of, okay, you put this down first and then you put this on top and you do this thing and that's how you get this amazing result. And so people just wanted the thing afterwards. And so I initially started just in my basement making the cocktails, like 
buying the thing and making the cocktails. And I started sending, selling that at the end of the classes. And so I guess that was my initial like um, exposure into like creating a line. But it really, my initial thought process was, let me just help the people that are here coming to learn, help them to walk away with something that can help them to be successful in this. And then uh, later on, I'm like, wow, well, this kind of makes sense. If I have a philosophy on how to do makeup and I'm teaching, I should have what I believe in as a product to share afterwards. But I had no clue on how to make a product because I was not in that industry at all. So I did little things like I did a little private label um, and paired it with like pigments and glitters and things that I would source independently and make them in my basement. And that's really where the brand started. So like for people who know me from way back in the early 2000s, they probably have that bionic lip kit that the brand was so popular for. And this is before there was like the glitter lip, like literally this was back in maybe like 2005, 2006, I had this little lip kit where you put down a cream base first and I had a solution that you mix with glitter and you brush it over your lips and your lips stay all day shiny, glittery. And that was our thing. Um, and so I just created like little one-off um, creations like that um, just to satisfy you know, the desire to have something afterwards. And I would sell other people's products. But when I had an opportunity to uh, work with other brands and I work with like dr drugstore brands and even prestige brands and I actually got to see how products are created, where these labs are, you know, how do you talk to chemists and, you know, how do you do the storytelling of the product and how do you get it out into the world? You know, that really started to kind of refine my thinking, you know, just learning through working as a consultant for other brands. And to be quite honest, early in my career, I hadn't really defined like my own personal style. I was kind of like doing makeup and, you know, looking to the greats, like the Sam Fines of the world and the Pat McGraths of the world and, and like saying, oh, I want to do makeup like them. I didn't have my own aesthetic, but I think it was around 2014 where I really just became who I was going to be as an artist. I understood like what I wanted to show. I understood like the stories that I wanted to tell. And I didn't see that represented in the stores. I didn't see it represented even in the pro stores. And there was there was a there was a different kind of storytelling I wanted to have. There was a different way that I wanted to be able to use products. And so it was 2015 when I decided, you know what, I think I'm ready to tell the story of like how Danessa Myrick sees makeup. And that's where Danessa Myrick's beauty was born. How do you think that evolution shaped you, obviously as a makeup artist, but also as a founder and CEO? Because you know what I think is so interesting about this is nowadays we're seeing founders and CEOs right out of graduate school, right out of yeah. getting their Harvard MBA or their Stanford MBA, or they have this great idea and they're an Instagram artist, you know, and not to discount that, but you're talking about, you know, 20 years of building this business <laughs> yeah. before quote unquote arriving. Can you talk about that? Well, I will say that I'm excited for anybody right now who's starting in beauty or has a dream in beauty or has something that they want to say with beauty because the it really is the perfect time to like be an overnight success. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like because you, there are 
the channels to tell your story are just so vast. Like literally you can wake up tomorrow, have a message, get it out there. It trend and you're the next big thing. And so I will never discount that because I think we all have incredible stories to tell. I love the way that I came up in beauty because it was that grit and that like figuring things out that helped develop me as not just an artist, but as a creator. You know, now there's so much to see. It's really hard to be innovative because you're seeing so much stuff. There's no original ideas. There's lots, there's lots of homogeny, um, among the brands because you're just trying to do the thing that other person did to be successful, right? If I do what they did, then I'm going to have a successful X, right? But I think the way that I came up in the business was really all about innovation. It was all about pure creativity. It was all about pure grit. And um, it kind of developed me into the developer I am now. Like I literally, I don't even know what other people sell, to be honest. I don't even look at it. I just think of it in terms of, you know, my artistry, what am I doing every day that I want to be able to do better? And if I want to be able to do it better than other, there are other people like me who want to be able to do it better too. Or what is it that pros can do that doesn't seem easy to the average person and how can I make it more easy? And I take it literally from that place of just a need only. I like the way that I came up because um, it, it just helped me to be better today. And it also just helps me understand like possibility. Like there, there is, there are two types of winners, right? There is a slow and steady wins the race. And then there's the overnight success. And it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get to that place as long as we get there. So I think I can serve as an example for anyone who's looking to create a brand or to create anything special and unique. And, you know, regardless of the resources that you do or don't have or the amount of time that it takes, you know, it is possible. So I think all of those stories are important to tell um, so that there are some people that will see something in me that inspire them um, to create. And those that are doing something, waking up, having an idea and having an amazing moment due to social media, they can do great things too. So I think all of the stories are important. So much about what we're talking about today has a lot to do with, you know, inclusivity and diversity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was what your brand was about is making women with darker skin, myself included, you know, not look like I was wearing a different color on my face than it was on my neck. And I'm just wondering, you know, how has that conversation changed? I mean, obviously no one was talking about it 20 years ago, but, you know, I think people really said, oh, when Fenty Beauty came out, that was it. We have our answer. And then everybody else came out with 50 shades of X, Y, or Z, but your line is inclusive and it is diverse, but it doesn't feel like any of that. Yeah. Um, I love that it is a conversation now. And I definitely think that there are more conversations to be had. And I think one of the things that people forget is that it's not just shade. You know, I think that there are lots of people who can create like collections of 50 or a hundred shades, but you can have a hundred shades of nothing too. Like, you know, there are lines that are very thoughtful about how they curate their shades. And there are others who just add black, add black, add red, just to make more colors. So just because a brand has tons of shades doesn't mean that there is 
thoughtfulness behind it. Um, I'm very, very happy that, you know, that conversation is being had more and more brands are participating on that level. And I think we need tons more. You know, one brand is totally not enough. We need, you know, every brand to be able to represent themselves across all skin tones. And and beyond skin tones, I feel like there's a miss also in terms of um, who who a brand is speaking to. One of the things that I wanted to do is uh, give a voice to the people who had none. You know, there's so many people around the world that use my brand that look nothing like me. You know, I'm not just creating for dark skinned women, uh, women of color. I'm creating for people who love makeup and want to be able to experience a brand. And regardless of their skin tone or skin type, they find something that's in it for them. And beyond skin tone, there are different styles of makeup. There's, you know, I love scrolling and seeing like this diversity and creativity. I love the 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 gender fluidity that exists. You know, everybody is wearing makeup right now. Right. So I wanted to create a space where, you know, if you're somebody who likes to go full on drag or you're like a soccer mom, there's something here for you. So I wanted to represent not just skin tones. I want to represent personalities and ideas. And, you know, my whole brand is just really about freedom. Like, why can't a brand be for everyone? I didn't see a lot of that. And and that's that's what I wanted Danessa Myrick's beauty to represent, like how I see the world. Um, you know, with everyone being included in a conversation. And that that's what I'm striving for with the collection that I put together. How have you seen that shift or change, especially in the last year? Because, you know, I think a lot of uh, Black founders, Black CEOs have seen like, are, have been inundated, right? With retailer requests, with partnerships requests. And, you know, you're someone who's built this slow and steady and and you're self-funded. So I'm wondering, like, you know, what made sense from you, especially as we go into the Sephora news, you know, yeah. what was what was right for you to take on a partner like that? Because, you know, as a small business, as someone who's still growing yourself, right? Like it can be, it, it's been detrimental for some other brands. Yeah. And like you hit the nail right on the head. You know, I know brands that went into big box stores like Sephora and then you don't even know their names anymore because it's really hard to to keep up in that environment because no one's putting you in the, this is a small little engine that could section. It's like, you're in there with all of the big boys, right? And you have to be able to play the same game. Um, and you're right, you know, when everything happened uh, early last year, when everything was amplified early last year, there were tons of outreach, right? Um, but, and I'm sure a lot of other founders would agree, is that some of it, came from a very authentic place and some of it came from like, I need to make a number place, right? And so it was just a matter of kind of sifting through and understanding what felt good and who was really interested in the long-term success um, for the brand. You know, the one of the things about this um, Sephora partnership that really makes me feel good is that, you know, the merchants at Sephora didn't just start looking at Danessa Marks Beauty last year. Like they definitely were interested in the brand. Like the name of the brand came up often. A lot of the merchants purchased the brand. They're customers of the brand. They seen my journey and my story. Right. But I think we weren't ready before. I know we weren't ready before. Right. You know, the brand is still very young, but we were younger then. And, you know, if we were two years ago, and we were asked to be into Sephora, we, we wouldn't be able to be successful. 
you know, but the thing I love about Sephora is that they, they've seen my classes. They, they, they know my audience. They know how people respond to my products. They actually are users of the product as well. And so they understood my journey. And when we began um, seriously um, talking about a partnership, it was very clear to me that they were invested in the brand long term. It wasn't about, well, let me take you know a handful of products and put it on the shelf so I can say that I launched another you know black female owned founded brand. It was really like, we wanna be able to tell the story of your brand in a really beautiful way. And we wanna make sure that you come into this partnership in a way where you can be successful. And uh, you know, thus the rollout that they planned and the stores that we'll be going into and then how we're launching online for us. Like all of it was just kind of to nurture the relationship to make sure that we were prepared every step of the way to be successful in this, you know, huge environment. And um, they've been incredible partners. We haven't launched yet, <laughs> but um, they've been incredible, like every step of the way, offering the support that a brand of my size uh, would need in order to ha get off to a great start. So um, I'm very, um, I'm happy that they came according really hard during the time when we were ready um, we've done the work and we were ready to take the next big, big step. How has the last year kind of prepared you for that? Especially when you think about the pandemic and, you know, the way that customer behavior has shifted so drastically, you know, obviously going on Sephora.com first is, you know, table stakes at this point. And so right. I'm wondering from you, your perspective, when everyone's kind of so concerned about if people are wearing a lipstick or foundation because of their mask, like, you know, what was it about this year that kind of gave you the confidence to say, hey, we're here, we're going to do this, we're going to do it loud and, you know, pandemic be damned in a way. Right. Well, I think, you know, above everything as a brand, um, we've always been just focused on making people feel good. And I think the one thing that people needed to do over this last year is feel good, <laughs> um, which is why um, so many brands have had so much success in cosmetics because people were just reaching. They just was like, you know, this lipstick, I'm going to feel good. I just want to do something good for myself. I want to smile. I want to pop a color. And, and so we had an opportunity with this loyal following of people who enjoyed the brand to like go through all the mistakes. Um, we had the opportunity to learn how to service individual stores well, um, from one store to 10 stores. We actually are in 13 countries um, with the brand, with, in pro stores and boutiques all around the world, in places like Russia and Mexico and Italy. So we had the time to like really nurture our audience and we understood how to do it now. So we felt very confident now that we can kind of tell um, a bigger story um, because we, we, we just spent a lot of years just doing the work. So we really did feel like we were ready. Go back to social media for, with me for a second. You know, I think what's so interesting is like what you're talking about, like that kind of dialogue and that conversation was really happening online with you and your community. And I'm wondering like how that has really played into um, – the growth of the business in this last year and the, and the, you know, kind of momentous like occasion this is, because I feel like, you know, all eyes and engagement sales, all it's on you right now. And I'm just wondering how you kind of think about 
holding on to that, right? And when there's so many channels and so many platforms and keeping that conversation going. I love that question so much. Um, I really love the people who support the brand. Like I have like the biggest cheerleaders. I think they just really want to see me successful and see the brand successful. I spent a lot of years, you know, traveling around the world, just meet. I'm, I'm, I'm very much an introvert and a lot of people don't understand that because of what I do, but I'm a very shy, introverted person, but I really love sharing and I really love connecting. And so I spent the last few years really connecting on a personal level with people all over the world um, through master classes, through mini classes, through like one-on-one mentorships, through the mentorship program that I have right now, my angels program. And that intimate connection was is a big part of my brand, which is why there are people who still have like remnants of products that they purchased from me back in 2004. I still have your little glitter pot. Like throughout the pandemic, one of the things that I realized is that, you know, that connection was missing. And so I really tried to find ways to reconnect. And and so the beginning of 2019, 2020, sorry, we launched Danessa Marks University, which was a way for me to like kind of connect through those masterclasses. Um, we started our mentorship program, which allowed me to connect with people on a, a deeper level. I started to, you know, do these mini stories and tutorials just to say I'm still here. And, and anybody who knows me knows that I live in my DMs. Like it's very much a personal brand. Like, you know, I really do believe that the people who purchase my products are like my friends and family. Like we know each other. I know their names when I see it. I do my own social. I know who I'm talking to. And, um, I know when they're growing, we share photographs. So it really is like this family. And one of the things that I hope to do is to maintain that connection and um, just, you know, kind of amplify it. I don't want to lose the connection with the people who've, you know, been riding with me from day one. I think this is what this brand is. It really is like a bucket of love. It's like a bucket of support. It's like, I really feel like I have thousands and thousands of cheerleaders around the world and we're just intimately connected, believing in the same things, wanting to see the same change in the world. And we're just doing it through color fixes and vision flushes and and so on and so forth. So um, I think my audience is a very special one. I'm very grateful for them. Janessa, last question for you. You know, when you think about, like, obviously this business is very personal for you. And, you know, I, I read that, you know, you guys have had seen sales grow like 100% in the last year. And, you know, it's been pretty amazing. But I'm wondering, like, you know, as you get bigger and as, you know, the Sephora launch comes to pass and, and all of that, I'm, I'm wondering what you think about the road of a partnership. Are you looking at investors? Are you thinking about private equity? I mean, is that something that you, you know, you're so close to the brand. Is that something that you think is palatable for you when you think about growing and scaling the business? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about it. But not, you know what I mean? I think like we've been able to do it up until this point without that. And if we were to take on a partner, it would be very important to me that, you know, they understand who we are and our DNA and they're of that same sauce. Because I think, you know, diluting that will take away what's special about the brand. Yeah, I think that intimate connection to our audience is really what helped us to thrive. And so, sure, you know, more money will absolutely help us to scale faster. But I don't want to do it at the risk of 
losing what's special and unique about us. So I get when the time is right, it'll happen. I think everything has happened as it should be for our brand. And I'm sure that the next steps um, will be the same. So are we looking? No. Are we open? Of course. But we're always going to keep our our audience and our supporters in mind first because we really do believe that we created something special and we want to maintain it. Thank you so much, Janessa. It was so great having you. Thank you so much. This was great. I feel like we're best friends now. Oh my God, we are. We are. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. Subscribe.